0: This is Akafe.
1: Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court
0: of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it.
1: There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the world Sarah J. Mass has created, as well as topics mentioning sex work, physical violence, and substance abuse. Hi, everybody,
0: and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today, it's Acatar Day! <laughs> I don't know if we should be that excited. We've made it. We've made it to the hardest book in the series. We are, of course, talking about A Court of Thorns and Roses, or if I have recently started to call it A
1: Court of Red Flags and Regret. <laughs> which honestly its biggest redeeming quality is that it introduces us to the series and leads me to the love of my life. You know, I, before we even get started in the episode, I had to wear my fuck Tamlin crew neck from the Dear Writer Company. The second that I saw Sarah at a bookish design on Instagram, she posted this and I go, oh my gosh, I need it. Where did she get this? The whole time it was under my tree. You knew I needed it before I did. And it, I, it was just sitting there for Christmas. And when I opened it, I was so happy. So thank you to Bookstagram and the writer company and Etsy for continuing to just take my money and live and immerse myself in my fandom. It is pretty excellent
0: and so, so appropriate for this episode. So I want to point out that I just finished rereading Akatar today, as in like maybe 20 minutes ago. I'm fucking exhausted. It took me all day, but I did it. And I have a lot of notes for this episode because I actually, for the first time, read it with like a critical kind of, I don't know, eye. And this is my fourth read through, but I really took the time to think about all the points that have been brought up on like Book talk and Bookstagram and just things that we've talked about in previous episodes. So I have thoughts. And I have opinions, but um, Jess, where do, you, where do you want to start with this? I
1: mean, I'll let you take the lead. It's fresher for you. It's probably the best way to do it because otherwise, I feel like all this episode is going to be is a retelling. Because I looked at my notes, as we've mentioned in the past, Akatar was my first fantasy book. So let's also go at, knowing that this is Laura's 4 3 read with a critical mind. And a master's in literature. She's going to – I can't wait to hear her insight. And then for me, I've done it one – I can't even say one and a half because I tried I tried to do the reread. I was still too emotional coming off of the Acamath roller coaster. So a lot of my initial reactions that I was going back on my notes, it was just – emotional responses, nothing critical, me trying to guess things. I think of Easy Cat on TikTok. His name's Jason, where literally he has that one TikTok where he goes, one day after reading Akatar," and he goes, Oh no, I hope a strong male fade doesn't come and get me. And it's perfect because that's I I don't even care how I got to Prithian at that point, just take me. And at that point Hamlin didn't seem awful, but I also wasn't completely looking at all the red flags that were there.
0: And that's so true. Um I think I think the, the easiest thing to do would just be to start with the beginning with some of the glaring issues that we have here. And the first one I'm going to say is I fucking hate Nesta in the beginning of this book. She's absolutely terrible. And during this read through, I noticed that all of the times I mean, I'm not including really Under the Mountain. Before Feyre gets to Under the Mountain, every single time she has any sort of, like, self-doubt or, like, self-criticism, it's in Nesta's voice. She goes, oh, you know, Nesta would say something or or she she uses Nesta's, like, critical voice as the voice in her head to make her feel shitty about herself. And Nesta is just awful. She won't chop the wood. She won't do anything to help. And it's it's like, oh, my God. You're going to spend all of her money. It, ugh. Ugh.
1: Feyre's convenient for Nesta when Nesta needs her. And that was so annoying. And I, remember, I do remember that was one of my criticisms. At the beginning, I go, what is going on? Feyre needs to calm the fuck down. Because here, Tamlin, unbeknownst to us at the time, Tamlin's saying, let's get away. Let's go to Prithian. Your living situation's crappy. Your family is shitty. What? Run. Bye. You have, she's done nothing. Her family has not helped her survive. She's relied on herself the whole time. And then with Nesta, it's just that even the double standard for being a younger sibling Elaine's the middle child, Fair is the baby, but Nesta only focuses on caring for Elaine, and that's its own thing. But Even though we know she's openly had the conversation with Feyre saying she didn't really have to worry so much about her, that doesn't make it acceptable, especially when you think of their mother has died, Nesta's the oldest, and so it's just you're naturally in a maternal figure place for your younger sister, and she did not take ownership with Feyre at all. No, not at all.
0: And she, and Nesta does say later on, like, I... I didn't help because I wanted to see like what our father would do if he would let us starve. It's like, are you what? That is some twisted fucking logic. I just I just can't stand it. I also really like and kind of stand by it when Farah says that Elaine is kind of dumb.
1: Well, I mean, that nothing has changed. She still is. okay. you're a seer and the fuck what? It's just so
0: funny. She's like, you know, I just don't know if Elaine doesn't notice that we're poor or if she just... (laughs) Like if she's slow, it's like yeah. Her well, head is
1: in the clouds instead of flowers all over her dresser painted. It should have been clouds because she's that airy. God, you know
0: it. It, it really is. So that I just the the, <laughs> the corrosiveness of Nesta just on everything really really stuck out, and so did the bleakness kind of of the first you know few. Chapters, and I thought that was really interesting, because it really does paint like how vivid Prithian is, and it was interesting when I was reading through this, even though Sarah does a really good job of describing Prithian and like the food and the smells and the you know, da, 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 It still is not as vivid to me as the world that Holly Black created in the Folk of the Air series, that Fay world feels like a fever dream to me in my head where this feels like a very bright painting. It's just really different.
1: Well, Holly Holly Black's Fae World, I feel it feels your stereotypical fae or fairy. Like I've got very much midsummer night's dream with a starbucks and a target <laughs> like I, I, I and she talks about that too and i remember with prithian or at least the mortal realms i told you i go i'm getting very hunger games dreariness especially when they go through the market everything to what you said is bleak sunshine does not exist it's just two very different worlds i didn't feel like i was in a Fey. World and even the TikToks that you showed me. Eventually, as I would get to certain points in the book, it didn't feel Fey. It felt magical. It felt beautiful, but it didn't have that thing. The like je ne sais quoi. Yeah,
0: Holly's world, Holly Black feels more vicious to me. It for it feels it sounds so weird because there's so much less you know like material to pull from. But Holly's Fey world feels very vicious. It feels very bright. It feels very like drug kind of induced where this one feels very proper
1: at least spring court feels proper
0: right well even like volaris you know it's clean and there's like streets and rules and order yeah in order it's just it's just very it's very different so that really stuck out to me just reading through this and just feeling how fucking boring the spring court is i really couldn't get over it and even though everyone's glamored, you know, and Thara thinks that she's alone or whatever, it's just, like, rolling hills and, you know, it doesn't even really get interesting until Fire Night, where there's, like, a party and the bonfire and the nice big orgy.
1: I was gonna say, like, I love how we just casually say Kalanmai and Mine, are like, call it what it is. It's a fairy fuck fest. That's what I like calling it. But it is, and we might get into that later, of... The slut-shaming, but we've already gone through it with a couple episodes previously between Kalamai and, and, what, Tamlin's 500 years old, so you add 500 people to his body count, and then he wants to shit on Feyre. I'm not having it. Fuck Tamlin.
0: And even even in the beginning, Nesta really gives Feyre some shit for going to fuck Isaac in a barn. Get you some, sis.
1: Yeah, well, and
0: it's full circle because Nesta, you know, fucks anything that she sees in... Frost and
1: Starlight, and Farah isn't allowed to say shit. And I, you know, I don't understand, maybe, I don't want to say correct me if I'm wrong, but I am still trying to understand and learn. Everybody is so defensive. Not everybody. A lot of people are very defensive for Nesta. She's gone through trauma, blah, 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 the cauldron, King of Highburn, this and that. That's great. We have Silver Flames coming out. We get to dive into that more. But what was the excuse prior to her being turned high fay. What was the excuse prior to that? And I say that because Laura, you and I have had this conversation before of you can have siblings, especially biological siblings, and I say that because of the whole nature versus nurture, that share the exact same DNA from both the mother and father. And they're they grow up in the same household and they have the same DNA, yet they, siblings can come out so different based on that situation. And it's the same, it's the same environment they're in. It's the same DNA. So what was the excuse before? Because if you want to say, well, you know, Nesta was the oldest. She was doing this. She was, no, she wasn't doing anything. She was not taking care of the family. She's openly said that she wanted to see if her father, who was handicapped, who could not work, she still wanted to see how he was going to make money work. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand what the excuse is and defense is for Nesta, at least, you know, pre-turning Faye.
0: I would say that people will rise to Nesta's defense and say, well, she went after Feyra in Akatar. Like she, her mind couldn't be controlled by Tamlin's glamour and, and she went after her, but.
1: She didn't. She oh, did. I guess she did. She did. You're right. You're right. She did.
0: But during this reread, she doesn't say that she went after Pharaoh because she loved her or because she wanted her back. She went after Pharaoh mostly because she wanted proof that everything happened, that Tamlin did, you know, come in and break down the door because the, the glamour fixed it, you know, and said that Pharaoh went off with her rich
1: aunt. And that a storm blew down the door. But she never believed the glamour. She didn't trust the glamour, believing in the glamour in the first place.
0: Well, the glamour didn't work. It didn't work at all.
1: She's too strong-willed or yeah. something.
0: Yeah, and she she pried a piece of wood off of the leg of the table as proof. Like, yes, yes this did like happen. Right. So she didn't go after Faber because she loved her. She went after her just to prove that she was right. And uh, like bring Farah back and show everyone, like, see, she did get taken off to Prithian, and I'm not the crazy one. It's all of you. She was doing it out of her own self interest. So, you know, take that as you will, but I really need.
1: She's a shitty sister. Yeah. She's a shitty sister. She is. Silver Flames changed my mind. That's, that's all I need to say. You know? You know who I really like on TikTok, and I might be saying her name wrong? Caven. Underscore books or Cavin. I really don't. But she's been posting the Mrs. Asriel, like as if her and Asriel are into fights. But she's also rightfully so. She's like, look, there's a million Nesta stands out there. And I can hate her. She's a shitty person. And we're allowed to have her our own perspectives. And I love that she's bringing a voice. And I love all the TikToks because uh, we've mentioned before. I'm that person who could be like, oh, they bring a good point. Oh, they bring a good point. And it's not because I'm wishy-washy. It's because if you're bringing valid points to the table, as we should be, we should be able to be receptive to them and then formulate our own opinion. And I love that she has openly discussed why she does not care for Nesta. And, you know, it props to her because the book community is over a billion people with a billion hashtags. And when people come for you, they come for you. So I, I really like that she's standing her ground. We need more of that. Yeah. You know, we need
0: we need more of that. Diversity, you know, diversity is what makes it rich. So as I was reading through, I, I mean, I took a lot of notes, but I, I kind of just want to point out specific things and, I, and I've got it here. So Something that I found really interesting are these first inklings of Reese in Feyre's life before she even realizes that he's there. Mm -hmm. So obviously we have the night sky painted on the dresser. Like that's the one everybody knows. But the first clothing item that Feyre picks for herself in the spring court is a tunic that is so dark purple that it almost looks black. And that was really interesting. In, like, a world of spring and, like, green and pink or whatever, she chose that for herself. And you miss that, you know, during rereads when you're not really thinking about it. But it's like, oh,
1: huh, interesting. Like, those little details, especially when you're you're going through it with a specific focus in mind. Do you feel that reading it critically this time i mean we already know it's the the worst of the books um of the series so far arguably you know arguably (laughs) Um, but do you feel like now that the emotion has been taken out of it do you miss not being having that emotional connection or do you like that you were able to take it out and just read it for what it is that's has to be a hard job for like editors. I wonder if that makes you lose your passion.
0: That's a good point.
1: Did it? You know,
0: no, because I am emotionally exhausted now <laughs> and I was not, I was not invested today. You know, I was like, okay, I just right. want to read this. I want to get the points or whatever. But, you know, when she got under the mountain and she was, she was going through it, like I was still really in it with her. I was really going through her depression the way that she was going through her depression and, and it sucks and it was draining and. I think it speaks to Sarah that even though I knew what was going to happen, you know, I, I I'm looking for like specific things to to pick out. I was still moved, and like, no, did I? Didn't really give a fuck that she had to stab Tamlin in the heart. Stab him
1: again. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, second time, or, like the next read, you're like, stab the asshole.
0: But like when her nose was broken and when she was waiting for Lucian or like when she was dying in the cell, it was like fuck. Like that is still very that's
1: still very emotional. Or like um, and I'm I'm just thinking of us now. I think of the the loneliness when mm-hmm. Reese sends her the music, you know? And it was just little things that she got to latch on to I've got that. That's one of my notes. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I have some more. In the audio, they say the bogey, but it could also be the but well, I don't know. However, you want to say it. When that comes after Lucian and Feyre in the woods, and it shows you like nightmares or whatever, and you have to think like happy thoughts or whatever. Feyre's happy thoughts are a starry, unclouded night sky with peaceful, glittering stars, and it seemed endless. So that's another kind of night court nod that is just not something that you would think about really. So I thought that
1: was really interesting. Doesn't doesn't Reese in chapter 54, I'm going to have to do another reread of that. He goes, "I think I think you were mine before I think mm-hmm. the world decided you were mine or we were each other's before we that that whole line, because everything that you're saying between the dream that he's having, between her choices, like everything. Even I saw somebody on TikTok even make it a point during this book where even when her and Tamlin are hooking up in whatever water. Pool of starlight. This pool of starlight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting. I took down a page number because I thought this was interesting. On page 104, Thera uh, has a dream. And in the dream, she says that she has no control over her arm. She's dreaming about shooting a bow and arrow. And that there's a shadow behind her. And it's it's lurking behind her. And uh, she can't see who it is. But it's observing her. And it makes her shoot the shot to kill the wolf, to get her there in the first place. That's what she's thinking about. And then, of course, she's thinking about skinning. and It's very graphic. But that's obviously like like Reese. Right? I
1: love him.
0: Right? Like, he's just the best. So, like, there's that. And there's also some foreshadowing about the wall, which I thought was really interesting. Tamlin mentions that the walls are a big inconvenience. And that if the fae really wanted to, they could shatter it and murder all the humans. But he's not interested in that. And it's like, oh, well, okay then.
1: So is the wall, like, I guess the wall is just that comfort for humans.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's kind of what it seems in this book, since, like, they go back and forth through it, you know. All the sentries go in and then come out, and then Tamlin goes in and brings out Feyre, and then Feyre goes in again and then comes back out. There's a lot of back and forth.
1: And even in the second book, when they're going back and forth to the newest, the Archeron estate, to, you know, work with the sisters, there's no struggle. I mean, at least from the the face side of things. Mm Mm-hmm humans are just i don't they know the wall exists but i just don't think they even bother to try except those teens or whatever in the third book who definitely are like just take us please. children of the blessed yeah same i i'd join that cult so fast just get me there or i mean i real. guess is this the cult is this the sjm cult that everybody talks about on tiktok because maybe this is it maybe we are the children of the blessed <laughs> It's like, please please take me. Please take me. Please take me. I don't care. I'll even take Tamlin at this point. When I was looking, I found the
0: first red flag that was a red flag to me that no one notices as a red flag in this book because you don't notice any of the red flags in this book. But Tamlin is, he's talking to Feyre and he's in the garden and she's asking questions. And he's like, you know, one day I'll answer you. One day when everything is settled and you're safe, I will answer all your questions. and that's such a huge red flag. And we know that because he it's he doesn't. Dismissive. And he doesn't answer her questions, right? Like, she has to pry in book two to get anything. And then in Aqua War, when she goes back, she's invited to the meetings and stuff. But even then, she's not, like, deep into the planning. So, like, he
1: never does. When, and I think of when she's infiltrating the the spring court in the third book. It's very women can be seen but not heard. Yeah, you could be in the room, but don't don't say anything. Don't touch anything. Don't make your presence known. It's, it's exhausting how Tamlin views women. It's exhausting. Which is an
0: excellent segue to the next point, talking about marriage. So Tamlin is talking about his parents and he's talking about Lucian and the mating bond. And he, he says, Very specifically, that the mating bond overrules marriage.
1: So the hypocrisy, I just don't understand it. I know this is an ongoing conversation. He really is, he's, that's my toy. I want to play with it. It's very aerobin of him. By the way, it is now that I've read that, he does this because Erebin, he's like, why are you sending her to Andovian? And it was basically like, "If I can't have her. Nobody can. That's the same thing. And Tamlin with his, you know, small dick energy is like, well, this is my toy. I want to play with it. I want to be right. I want to win. I had it first. Fuck off. You're the worst. You are every fucking Chad. He's Chad.
0: No one wants a Chad. And he's a Chad. It just makes me so angry when he he just spouts this. He's like, oh yeah, you know, and 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 Lucian thought when they were married or whatever that the mating bond would snap in place, and you know, blage blage blage. And then you know, Feyre has the mating bond, and he completely disregards it. And he's like, oh, she's my wife. It's like you weren't you. First of all, first of all, she didn't marry you, Tamlin, in Ackermath. Let's let's just be clear on that. Secondly, she's Reese's mate, that is, like, done and sealed, and then you were so fucking preachy about it in Akatar that, ah, uh, just, man, it just,
1: it just, it makes me hate him so much, so much. It's not even that he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't have respect for women, but he just also doesn't have respect for others, because... Look at how he treated the water wraiths. Look at how he treated – just, like, respect in general because he's not respecting the mating bond. And a mating bond that's – a mating bond that's reciprocated. It's not just, like, a Lucian Elaine thing where it's one-sided. No, this is deeper than that. She loved you at one point. She doesn't now. You guys never talked – and it almost reminds me of those relationships that – they've been together for a long time this kind of seems like oh i guess we should get married now i guess we should get engaged now and now things didn't go according to his plan of what the ideal expectation was of she went under the mountain for you your guys are should get engaged next now you should get married like because the progression didn't happen the way he wanted it to he he's but he never had respect in the first place and i it, everything about this book. I just want to pull my hair out because then I just, I think of how we find more backstory and about even how his, how his mother died and he just keeps playing victim and woe is me. And he keeps playing that all the way through Frost and Starlight. Fuck off. I'm sorry. There is a lot of swearing in this, but I just cannot, cannot tolerate him.
0: And that brings up my next note where he when Tamlin he Tamlin tells Pharaoh like his family was killed by a rival court
1: and where You I have, started it. What did you think was going to happen?
0: I have the quote here. He goes, Yeah, for whatever reason or like luck of the cauldron, he was spared. It's like what? Luck? Reese fucking spared you. There is there is no like luck here. That is what happened. Why are you saying that? Why are you acting like that? Like, it just doesn't make so- It just doesn't. He had, he
1: had his mother and his sister's wings displayed in the office. How can you sit and act like, oh, I have no idea why my family was killed? Really? Because you're lucky Reese let you off easy and it wasn't even Reese it was his dad who did it it's
0: just so much
1: but that brings us to Kalamai, as we were saying
0: and another inkling of Reese she says there's a voice in her head saying go 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 and and we know i mean we know now that that was Reese because Reese was there and he was doing his thing and we we learn like how he got there and like why he was there and and whatever but and then they have their fantastic meeting, which, which is wonderful.
1: Well, and I love that he was there not because of Kalanmai. He was under the pretense of Kalanmai with Amarantha and like, oh, I think there's like some shiftiness going on. I'm going to check it out. But it was really because he had sensed that Pharaoh was in Prithian this whole time. He was that drawn. He's like, I need, I need to go and I need to find a way to get there.
0: I like how Pharaoh, do things. First of all, I like how Feyre says that, you know, Reese is so fucking hot, she wouldn't have the balls to paint him. Secondly, I like how TikTok has basically said that Feyre's paintings suck. <laughs> I love it. And, and it's I just, ex-
1: it. it's accepted. Like, is a bad painter. I just, I, my favorite thing is Kevin's book talk, where she's like, this is literally worse than one of Farah's paintings. And don't tell her I said that. <laughs> I love it's universally accepted. It's so, it's so good
0: because, and she says, like, Farrah does say, like, I'm not any good. We know. I don't want to show anybody. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, we know. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> that brings up this other point, which I never noticed in my other rereads, but Tamlin gets all painted up for the grand right. He has the whirls and swirls all over his body, So and it says, Tamlin for the Great Right is painted, and Farah can see where he's been touched. Okay, so
1: oh, yeah, I didn't pick that up at all. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, it's there. Like it's 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 right there. And I'm sure I'm sure Farah never makes that connection to when like she's all painted up too. But it, you know, Sa- Sarah put that. I almost said I almost said Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah puts that in there. So it's like, okay, we see he's all painted. We we see where he's been touched, so that when we see it again, when Reese is doing it, it's like, oh, well, th- well, this is the first time that I I figured it or I saw it and figured it out. But I just I just thought it was interesting.
1: I'm surprised nobody's brought that up. Yeah, or I haven't seen it. I can't say nobody's brought that up. I don't know. I
0: I just thought it was really interesting, and you know, we are not under the mountain yet, but we'll get there. Oh, I have another page number, and it's about Nesta. And I thought it was really interesting because we've been speculating so much about Silver Flames. On page 282, Feyre is talking about Nesta. So this is after Tamlin sent Feyre home, after everything, after they've had all the sexy sex and he says that he loves her and she can't say it back because... Trauma. Uh,
1: Trauma. Feyre
0: is talking to Nesta and everything. And Feyre makes an observation. She says, there were no limits to what Nesta might do might make of herself once she found a place to call her own. And I thought that was really interesting because where could that place be? Is it the Illyrian camps? I mean, now we're getting into Silver Flame speculation, but I just thought that was a really interesting line to set in this first book, knowing what we know about Nesta and like where she's going now, and she's going to have this like big story arc, but this little seed was planted.
1: And, you know, you bring up a good point because it's not that she acknowledges, oh, what it would be like for her in Prithian and understanding that for every person, home is different. You know, home doesn't mean what to you, what home means to me. Sometimes some people like they really say like home is and there's a song that's like it's called home and the lyrics go like home is wherever i'm with you so it doesn't even matter home being a physical place home can be a person home can be an experience and the fact that that's highlighted that her that Nesta's home isn't isn't going to be what Favor calls home and you see that at the end in the extra chapter of frost and starlight it's very good i wonder if sarah had always known she wanted to develop nesta's story or if that just that was intentional that was an unintentional line that she saw that had potential that could be formulated over time
0: i would be interested to see how sarah plans out her books
1: i want to know her writing process you know she's probably writing one book on paper and then she's it's just you see it with um We were talking about it for the bonus episode of Throne of Glass, where you see her. There are a lot of things that she's writing or making reference to in Throne of Glass that you know directly tie into Akatar. One of my
0: favorite authors, Melissa McPhail, has a really crazy way to plan out her stories. She uses a chessboard and she has. Yeah. Yeah. Jess is making a face at me, but yeah. You you can Google this. She has a, she has like a, a big chessboard and she puts um sticky notes on all of the chess pieces and then maps out different places and then puts the chess pieces in those places. And then for each book moves them to a new place to kind of give her a visual representation of where everybody is and who they're interacting with. Because the books are very complex. This is a shadow or um pattern of shadow and light by Melissa McPhail. Very, there's five, very complex, but I thought that was really an interesting way to do it, and I haven't heard of other authors doing anything like that.
1: That's so different. And, in my, and I don't know if this is how she's doing it, but in my head, I'm almost thinking like if she finds the plot or where she wants to go with it, and that's the checkmate. Like, that's, that's the end. How very Queen's Gambit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. That's really cool. I know like other people do like storyboards or have a big murder board or whatever. Yeah, a you know, spider. Up there. Yeah. <laughs> was yeah, with like string and stuff. But like I'm a visual learner as well. So I, I feel like something like that would make more sense to me. But, you know, I digress. Go read her books because they're really good and no one reads them.
1: What are they about?
0: Oh, my God. Um,
1: Is this like a whole separate conversation?
0: No, I can pull I can it down. I can pull it down. I can boil it down. Um there are there's different No, I can't boil it down. <laughs> okay, yes again. There's a threat. There's a threat by very powerful creatures and they are breaking through all the protective barriers to wreak havoc and destroy our world. So a group of very young and ambitious Magic wielders, I say that loosely, have created a separate universe, like a bubble universe to, to shield our world so that the beings have to get through that one before they can get through our world. And because they did that, they were ostracized from society because no one could believe they had the, uh, like gumption and like hubris to do that. It was very like taboo. And they thought that they were trying to play God because the threat is only known to certain people. It's very good. Please go read it. Now, back to Akatar. Interesting, interesting fact about Akatar that I did not realize after Pharaoh goes under the mountain and Lucian yells out to Pharaoh that the Mingard worm is on her left, Tamlin has to whip Lucian 20 times. Why? Because Amarantha tells him to. Oh, okay. And I I just think that's really interesting that that's not something that registered on my like first couple of throughs but like yeah and that's why Lucian doesn't come to heal Phara
1: and that's why she eventually makes the, de- the, the she didn't deal the deal coming at the yeah point.
0: yeah that's why Phara has to make the deal with Reese because she was dying and she didn't know if Lucian was going to be able to come heal her and he says like yeah Tamlin had to fucking whip me. And then she didn't let me use my, like, fae powers or whatever to heal myself. And today was the first day that I could move. It's like, well, damn. That's like a footnote that no one really ever talks about. How much would that suck? That would suck so bad.
1: Whipping's a big thing because they also do that. He, t- I mean, not with everybody, but almost with the Spring Court specifically or Spring Court characters. Because then even in Akawar, War, has the sentry whipped. Even though Anthea is the one who did the shit. Yeah, it's very interesting. My next note,
0: page 362. This is where there might be a little bit of controversy. So there's a lot of drama around Reese drugging and taking advantage of uh, taking advantage of Feyre as she's like all painted
1: up and stuff, right? We know this. I feel like we need to deep dive into that because this is a very hot topic for people.
0: There's a lot of feelings about that. but. On page three hundred and sixty-two, Reese tells Feyre very specifically why he's painting her, and like later on, he tells her like why he's having her drink the wine. He's very clear about it, so I know that no one is touching you, and you know that you are only being touched on your waist and your hips so you have no question about anything like untoward happening so it's it's like he's yes he's doing all these things for like reasons but she will also have a peace of mind being like okay i know where i was touched and he tells her
1: like right up front and it's very sticky and i feel like because of the perception that he's created for himself because of his role. The delivery of it is very, like, there's malice to this choice of the painting when really it was a, hey, I'm the good guy, nudge, nudge. This is for your own peace of mind. I'm not saying that drugging people unbeknownst to them is okay. Obviously, it's not. But this is whatever she was drinking. It was a lot stronger than fairy wine that she had to not remember. And then, even though she wasn't remembering, she was still able to wake up and know that she was not harmed. I know. I know it's controversial. It is. It is. But
0: also, you know, she after that first time, she knows what the the wine does, and she asks Lucian, like, "What was I like? What was I doing? Who is touching me?" And Lucian says, like, "Well." You were sitting on his lap and you were dancing, you know, kind of raunchily between his legs. But he only touched you on your waist. And then later on, she voluntarily drinks the wine. I mean, yes, I mean, she's like sliding very quickly into her depression, but she does. She drinks the wine because she doesn't want to remember, but she also knows like exactly what is going to happen.
1: And she knows she's going to be okay. Yeah. So, I she's mean. She's, like, less reluctant about it, which also, it reminds me of the part later where things got even bad for Reese, where he was just, like, he was drinking the wine, too. And that's when she kind of woke up, like, oh, it's it's that kind of night, huh?
0: Yeah, because that was right after, oh, God. That was right after Amarantha, I guess, and Reese caught Tamlin in the closet. Reese drinks the wine and he comes into Feyre's cell after Reese caught Tamlin and Feyre in the closet just about to have sex. And, and we know later on that he was so upset. He was so upset because he, he couldn't understand why Tamlin had this opportunity. And instead of getting Feyre out, he just needed to, like, fuck her in a broom closet. We know that Reese was really upset about that. And Amarantha got really upset about that because Reese then took all the paint onto himself, and he kissed Pharaoh for the first time, and that pissed off Amarantha. And then, and then Amarantha made him like fuck her all night, which is what is kind of implied. Right. And that's how Reese ends up being so like pissed off and like sad and lonely in Pharaoh's cell that night. Which, uh, man,
1: man, it's it's a it's a lot. It's a lot, especially knowing what you know now once you've read through the series and knowing what he's going through and how his body and the mating bond isn't even there but it's so strong and it's like nothing snapped into place but he knows he cares about this girl he knows it's her there's obviously the universe is continuously bringing them together and amarantha is just a piece of shit she's another one she wants to have her cake and eat it too And she obviously loves Tamlin because he keeps, she keeps Tamlin at her side, but she wants, she has Reese just as, you know, to do what she will with him. And she doesn't want any, she's another Tamlin. They should have been mated. Tamlin and Amarantha because she doesn't want anybody else playing with her toys either.
0: Mm, That's true. I think it's a good opportunity to talk about how shitty Tamlin is under the mountain. Like we kind of understand his reasons. For not, not doing anything or like looking at Farah, but holy shit, do something.
1: He's straight up ignored her. And that was one thing, one of the notes that I didn't make and I do understand. I can look through somebody if I need to. You are not important. I could pretend you're not there. I do it in real life. So I can definitely do it if I think it's going to protect you because you don't want this person. You don't want Amarantha or whoever to know what your weak point is. So I understand where he was coming from. But here you have this mortal literally putting her life on the line for all of these trials because bitch is too stupid to know what love is. And <laughs> it's just, I understand why he was acting the way that he was. And I'm not a Team Tamlin fan. I'm not. But I get where he was coming from because I probably would have done the same thing. I don't know, though, because
0: the whole reasoning is because Tamlin doesn't want to give Amarantha the satisfaction of knowing what kind of torture will set him off. You know, like, what Amarantha does to Tamlin, like, what will be that thing to set Tamlin off? But, like, what the fuck else can she do to her?
1: But also, doesn't she already, like, at this point, I I guess you've now that we're talking it through... She already knows what she means to him. She came under the mountain. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. And they've, they've beaten her. They've, you know, almost killed her. She's almost died. They're doing all of this stuff to her. I mean, what is left? They're, they're, and let's not forget that the like mutilated body of Claire Better is just rotting on the wall in front of her. So she's got all that guilt too. It's very clear that Thera is broken. You know, especially after the second trial, like she's done. There's nothing left. So, at what point, if you're Tamlin, do you just say like "fuck it"? And you know, it it really. Sorry, it's I'm like heated. It speaks to Reese. Reese has to do so. Like Amaranth is whore. Like we get that he's playing his own game. He's doing all of this stuff with favor, with the bargain and the dancing, whatever. Yeah, there's other reasons, but he's also trying to like really rile up Tamlin. So that when the curse is broken, because Reese knows that Feyre is going to break the curse, so that when the curse is broken, Tamlin is so upset that he just goes after Amaranth. So like, there's no hesitation there. Like, he knows that. But like, if you're Tamlin, at what point do you just take one for the team and be like, yes, Amarantha,
1: I will fuck you because that's basically all this is. And then fucking murder her. Because it's never about, it's always about him. He's never thought of the bigger picture. And Reese has been doing it for 50 years when he protected Valaris, protected his family, protected, he has always thought of others. Tamlin and his role has been nothing but something that his, as High Lord, has been something that's been thrust upon him. He's never had a care for the people. He's always been very self centered. And things had to be of his own volition. And I mean, you could argue that he does care about his people. He kept sending the sentries over to find a mortal to to break the spell. But it's also because he wanted the spell broken. It had nothing to do with saving the people. The people have adjusted. They're fine. And also he stopped doing that. He had 49 years
0: and he did it for the first couple. And then he just stopped for like decades. And he only started up again within the past year or so yeah because it was it it was crunch time yeah he did not uh. wake
1: up every day to think how can I save my people whereas Reese is being raped every day every night and all he he you know he's like well at least my people are okay and then he knows that. This is what needs to be done as long as he, he, I mean, and then you later find out that he even feels guilty that it was only Valaris. He could, because, you know, you find out, is like, well, why didn't you let everybody know? And he goes, I didn't have enough magic. I didn't have enough power to save all of Prithia. And, you know, and I think that's also very telling of where he was that. He was never just thinking about the Night Court or Valaris. Like, yes, Valaris, it's been protected this whole time. But if he could, he would. Yeah, and he couldn't. And, I mean, we we love Reese. That brings me up to,
0: as you mentioned earlier, when Reese sends the music, you know, into into Pharah's cell when she was breaking. Farah has a quote there that I thought was really, really interesting. She goes, this is what I'm fighting for. This is what I have to save. And we... <sighs> We know that it's Valaris, right? Like she's, she's hearing the music. She's seeing the, the, you know, the city or whatever, like, you know, how she interprets it. In the moment, she's thinking that, you know, it's Tamlin and it's this love or whatever, cause she feels contentment and like peace and, and warmth or whatever. But
1: it was Reese who brought her that.
0: Right. But it wasn't Tamlin, obviously. It was Reese and it was Valaris. And like, so, big picture like that is what she was fighting for like she and she didn't even know it yet but you can say like part of her like soul or whatever knew because Farah does have what Tamlin doesn't is Feyre does have the big picture like she knows that it's not just the spring court that she's fighting for she's fighting for everybody because Amarantha and you know Hybern and extension but like we don't really know a lot about Hybern yet but Amarantha would rule forever and, like, would take over everything. So she understands kind of the the heaviness and the burden of everything, where Tamlin is, you know, ugh.
1: There's something, you know, and I don't mean to be, like, this hopeless romantic about it, but there's something so fantastical about, I don't know, just fate maybe, but it was – you think it's supposed to be this one thing, and the whole time it was bringing you towards this this love of your life, this family, this this whole life that you, unbeknownst to you, that everything is pointing you in that direction. And like you said, you're thinking that it's Tamlin; she's thinking she's bringing peace, but the whole time the peace is coming from her future. I don't. I don't know. I think there's something very very beautiful and very magical and damn that sh- does that should happen in life because you hear about it every so often but what i don't know that's just that's just sarah and her writing sarah and her writing sarah
0: on page 400
1: of akatar
0: <laughs> has Thera kind of appreciate her situation and she says that reese was keeping her alive for a lot longer than she realized Which I think is really interesting. I think what she says is, Reese was keeping me alive and had done so even before I set foot under the mountain. Because she is thinking back to everything that he did. Like he protected her at Kalamai. He lied about not knowing who she was. Lied about Claire better. And, um, you know, he bet on her. And then he helped her again in the second trial with the pulleys and not being able to read. And she, she really kind of understands that he's the one fighting for her, which leads me to my next point, where at the end, when Amarantha, when I think it's before, it's before she solves the riddle, Pharaoh solves the riddle, but Amarantha is beating the shit out of Pharaoh. She's angry and just, you know. And she hears Reese's calling for her. Reese is screaming her name. And, yeah. and not only that, but like he picks up a knife and he goes after Amarantha and Amarantha yeah. like knows and she, throws him against the wall, and she's like, I'll deal with you later, like, you fucking traitor. But that was the point, that
1: I think he he couldn't keep the mask on anymore. He couldn't keep the mask of indifference.
0: But at the same time, Tamlin was just on his knees begging. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He he was on his knees being like, you know, Amarantha, stop. I'll do anything. Like, please, please, please. And it's like, what? Are you kidding? And like, yes, after Pharaoh solves the riddle, yes, Tamlin does like shove a big sword through Amarantha's head and rip out her throat, which is what Reese had been working up to this whole time to get him to that point. We know that, and he finally did something useful. But it's just, ah, uh, and and we know later, actually later in the book, uh, right right before Phara and Reese say goodbye that Reese says, like, you know, I just want it in the history books that I tried. I tried to do something. I tried to fight back. And no one else did. And, you know, that pisses me right off. I'm heated. Sorry, I'm heated.
1: No, you should be because you're right. And then you find out in the second book how he's, you know, he knows how villains are written. He's the high lord of the night court who took away the bride from the spring court. And he's the one who fought... While everybody just stood around and he's still being portrayed. I mean, I know that part of it's because that's the character he created for himself, but be that as that may, it doesn't change the facts that he still fought. He helped change history. And he did, he did other things that
0: he doesn't really get credit for really until Akka war. Let's remember he didn't rat out the summer court for their like attempted coup. He lies and then he shot, he kills that, that guy instead of shattering his mind and giving him a walking death. And Amrit is like, and Reese is like, I was born, sorry. But Pharaoh recognizes that like he was doing the best that he could under excruciating circumstances. And then we, and then, um, there's all that talk about the slaughter of the Winter Court children. And then Alice, you know, goes on and say, says like, you know, children are very precious. Da, 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 da. And we don't find out later until Act of War what all the reasoning behind that was. And like Reese didn't know. And Amberantha did it on purpose to so try to like gauge his reaction because she kind of suspected that he wasn't, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just very interesting. It's very interesting. I have two more points. Interestingly enough, Baron is the first one to give Pharaoh the spark of life or whatever after her neck is broken. And that fucking shocked me. That blew me back in my seat. I had to reread it a bunch of times, but Sarah is very clear. She says that it's Lucian's father, which, okay. But then she says the High Lord of the Autumn Court. And I was like, whoa, that is
1: really out of character for Baron. I was shocked. I mean, does it have to do with the fact that, I mean, we we learned that Lady of the Autumn Court helps Feyre out while she was cleaning and saying, like, this is for saving my son. Even though we know Baron. We know
0: that Baron doesn't, like, like... Right. Luc. Yeah, it's just... It was just really... It was really strange and something that I wasn't
1: expecting, and it's not ever, like, mentioned again. Maybe it's just, like, one of those... Pl- not plot points, but just something where that connection... Because didn't you say that, like, the physical description of Baron? you thought, wait, you know, after knowing more of what we know... Isn't that Helian Hellion?
0: Yeah, he he says, like, a dark-skinned... I'm pretty sure it's like a dark-skinned male that kind of looked like Lucian with the
1: same, like, hair or whatever. It was his father, the High Lord of the Autumn Court. Those are different. But then it's even, like, brought to the attention on Book Talk where how Lucian is physically described in the first book is different than how yeah. he's physically described in the second book. So there just, there just could have been, like, that, that loophole that Sarah forgot about and then the editor is completely glossed over
0: that happens a lot in in, um maybe it's amarantha or maybe it's maybe it's Maeve. i don't know they screw up her hair color one time it's funny it's it's pointed out a lot my last point is that after everything so we're at the very end farah and hamlin both kind of realize that they're like in the shit There's stuff that they need to talk about. They need to talk about everything that happened. And guess what? Surprising no one, they don't talk about it. They just fuck. And I mean, that is the relationship in a nutshell. That is what it is.
1: They use sex for coping.
0: God, do they ever. They just don't talk about anything. And I guess in this this book, I can understand that to a point. You're still under the mountain. You're still kind of. And there's the other thing. they only had sex one time before all of this. They're not actually in love, which I mean, I guess
1: uh, But I mean like, I was gonna be like there's no way Dick is that good after one time, but
0: <laughs> but I guess if you're coming from like a dirty barn. <laughs> to, to, I well, and she's got like nothing to compare it, to. and we know it from
1: map she goes. I would have loved the first thing that showed me any sort of kindness.
0: Yeah, kindness and comfort—that's all she wanted
1: because that's what she needed. She
0: was starving. She was
1: poor and starving and working herself to the bone for no appreciation and starving and every sense, like the physical yeah. sense and the mental sense and having conversation, the intimacy. I mean, even though they're not really talking, she feels like she's having more conversations, even if they're just at a surface level between Lucian and Tamlin and Alice and Suriel and the Naga. She's speaking to them more than she did her whole family for the past five years. Oh, we didn't even talk about the
0: Suriel. Oh, our gossip Oh,
1: how queen. do we not? Oh, we love, a me- what did you say? We
0: love a gossipy bitch. We love a messy gossipy bitch. Like we are all about the cereal and it's so good. It's, so- I love it. I love it. Stay with the high Lord.
1: Yeah. Okay. Love it. We love the cereal. I love how they say the cereal's really hard to catch. Blah, blah, blah. And every time the cereal sees Feyre, he's like, what up?
0: He's like, oh, you caught T- me with your rabbit
1: <laughs> <laughs> snare. Oh, gosh. Oh shucks, you got me again. So here's some information for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: Like, did you know this? It's good.
1: So those are those are all my
0: notes. Those are all my thoughts on Akatar. Very interesting reading it now.
1: All these new little little tidbit. So where do you think and I can't say like, where do you think this book is going next? Because obviously, we've done the recap backwards. And I kind of, and I like that. I think it's refreshing. It's different. It's not exactly retelling of the book. But knowing what we know now from this book, and maybe this is a conversation for next week, when we do a whole summary of all the books at once as we're going into Silver Flames on Tuesday. Where do you see the progression of Nesta, of Elaine, knowing what you know from book one? Maybe this is just food for thought because it would make sense to discuss it next week.
0: I still think that Nesta is going to end up like Queen of the Illyrians or some shit.
1: Oh, I just had a theory. Oh, no. Tell. tell. What if... Oh, because there's all this death theory. What if Cassian does die and she becomes general commander of Illyrians? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <gasps> Someone
1: has to die. And she, oh, shit. Oh, wow. And she is that powerful. Amryn knows it. She keeps it. God help us when she unleashes everything and we already know that obviously Cassin, and as they have the seven siphons i like the meme the other day where they go hey let's not forget that as and Cass have seven siphons compared to these other illyrian bitches bitch ass illyrians with <laughs> one illyrians! siphon <laughs> that's
0: mm. what it was
1: bitch ass illyrians <laughs> oh that might fucking happen yeah and then she
0: yeah and she just becomes queen And that is her because the Illyrian camps are very much a part of but also very separate from the Night Court and like Valaris and everything, you know. So that would be like her own place to kind of make her own life and her own rules and stuff. And I don't know. I don't necessarily think that Cassia (sighs) needs to die for her to be able to do that. I think there's another thing she could take the right
1: Oh, that would be really, I feel like she could take the right just to prove a point. Yeah. And then, and use all of
0: that to just fucking slaughter everybody and like get it out of her system, you know, but
1: I kind of hope that happens. Yeah. If Sarah doesn't write it, um, Bethany, you want to, you want to add that into your, your fanfic if you haven't already. I haven't read it yet, but I promise I will.
0: (laughs) You know, man, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. All I do know is that it will go to an as book. That's what we get. That's, that's what we deserve. We deserve an Asriel book. Not only do we deserve it, he deserves it. He does deserve it. And I got to tell you, all of
1: these teasers that have As in them, it's like... She's doing that on purpose. You, you know it's a Silver Flames book, but she knows where we're at with Az, Especially after she went ahead and said, oh, Az is a freak, but in a good way.
0: What? You can't just put that out there, Sarah. <laughs> Don't you know what we're going to do with that? Oh, man. Oh, man. No, oh, Akatar. You know, I'm very grateful for Akatar. Without Akatar, we wouldn't have what we have now. And what we have now is a really beautiful fandom. We have fantastic men. We have really good female characters. We have a fantastic found family. We have all these wonderful things. But Jesus, did it take a while for us to get there?
1: Woo. It's,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I will always be grateful for Akatar because it's it's what got me into the fantasy genre, whether it's the you know, Akatar as a book by itself and Akatar the series, but obviously you need to have a beginning at some point. So there will always be like I said, the redeeming quality is that it's opened us to the world. But the world built, but in hindsight, it kind of feels the entire first book was world building. Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, how you have one off books, where, you know, you have that perfect beginning, middle end, and it's done. And you're done four or five hour reading, okay, next book, and you move on. And that's not what this is. And as I'm learning, that's not what any of her books are, (laughs) which is really cool. Like, talk about a journey, talk about an adventure. We're stuck in quarantine in our apartments and lockdown. At least I get to go to other places in my head.
0: You know what I did like about this book? I'll just bring this up because Jessica is reading the Throne of Glass series. Feyre, when she's doing the Mitten Guard worm, she is ferocious.
1: I like that Feyre.
0: I like that Feyre. That Feyre has a lot of Aelin. Has a lot of Selena. Yeah, I really enjoyed that.
1: That Feyre, I feel you see her pop up again in Akamaf when she's fighting for Valaris, and you see her again when her and more go plundering through Summer Court. That Feyre, you don't see often enough, and I think that's what I'm like. is a badass, like, she digs deep into remembering who the fuck she is. She's the person who kept her family alive. She's the person who can hold her own weight. She's the person who did this as a mortal, and she's going to take those skills, as just like we know, Selena slash Aelin. She learns these skills and applies them to what she knows, taking ownership of her you know, accepted self, if you will.
0: It, it was interesting. It was interesting. And it kind of sucks because now Feyre is... You know, she's in baby making mode, in like nesting mode. And she's just gonna be in the background and unless something fantastic happens and you know, maybe something fantastic will happen.
1: We don't know, because we there's still stuff going on with the queens. Yes, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot that can still I don't think it's it wouldn't be a Sarah book if there wasn't something more. I can't imagine the entire billion pages being nesta and cassie and go to the illyrian war camps and now we banter for 800 pages there has to be there and i can't say has to be there will be something that'll build 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 to a point and then shit this wasn't supposed to happen i knew it was going in this direction and it's kind of cool to have all these speculations the speculations of book talk of where the direction could go because then you start playing and your mind starts going and then you don't know the direction that is going to go in right now because you're just bouncing off so many different ideas.
0: I think that's a good way to end it because if we keep going, we're just going to keep speculating and we want to save that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have have to save all of that. So (laughs) So tune in next week for our ACTAR series recap. So if you guys don't want to listen to the Three breakdown deep dives that we have. We're going to do a little recap, remembering that A Court of Silver Flames is out February 16th. Book Talk will probably be dead, or we're just going to be saving our reactions and uploading a week later. This is going to be super fun and super exciting. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Acafe Podcast, ACOFAE. Give feedback, interact. I'm definitely always on, please. I like talking too much. I'm just in my apartment on East Coast time, but don't sleep because insomnia is fun. And that's it, I guess.
0: Well, thank everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you. This has been a lot of fun and we can't wait to have you tune in next week. So see you then.
1: See you then. Thanks. Bye.